Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. Love you guys. We love you so much. So glad you're here. Here's a little something. I don't know. Maybe it'll make you at least smile. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll find out here in a minute. But police officer sees a car swerving badly, and so... Mike's, Mike Milby's already laughing. So he pulls the car over, and the officer asks the driver, says, I pulled you over for swerving. Where are you headed? Why are you driving like that? And the man replies kind of sheepishly, kind of embarrassed. He says, well, I'm on my way to church, officer. I'm a pastor. The officer notices as he's talking to the man that there's a, a bottle and a brown bag on the passenger seat next to him. And the officer says, you haven't been drinking, have you, Pastor? No, sir. Why would you ask that? Well, I noticed the bottle on the seat next to you. Oh, that's just holy water. Really? Mind if I take a sip? No, no, sir, not at all. As the officer puts the bottle to his lips and takes a drink, he immediately spits it out and says, Pastor, this is wine. The pastor quickly exclaims, Praise the Lord, he's done it again. <laughs> that's not a true story about me, by the way. That's just so you know, in case you're wondering. <laughs> we're in a series right now called Origins, Back to the Beginning, and we're focusing on the first couple of chapters of Genesis that teach us about God's original design, his original intention for critical aspects of life. And so we started the series right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and called that In the Beginning God, and in week two, we focus on Genesis chapter one, verse 28, and I called that message Rulership Responsibility. Last weekend, we focused on Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, being created in the image of God, and I wanna say real quick to the, especially to the guys, to the men, the dads, don't miss Father's Day next weekend. We are having axe throwing. I'm the one who approved it. <laughs> Oh, maybe I shouldn't have admitted that, actually. Delete that. Um, uh, by the way, I had a guy come up to me afterwards last night. He says, Pastor, he says, you know the only thing more manly than throwing axes? I said, what's that? He said, catching axes. <laughs> We're not doing that, all right? But we also have uh, kind of a unique uh, message next week. And rather than just uh, hearing from me, I'm going to bring some of the pastoral staff and a couple of the leaders in the church, the men in the church, uh, and have kind of a panel teaching conversation discussion and we're going to talk about, in fact, the title of it is Act Like Men. You know, that's a command in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to talk about that. It'll be part of this series, so it'll be good. So don't miss next weekend. But today, we're going to go to Genesis 2. We're out of Genesis 1. We're going to go to Genesis 2. And we're going to focus on verse 24. The title of my message is, The Two Shall Become One. The Two Shall Become One. Now, I need to give a quick disclaimer to parents if you're watching online. Or in here, if you have kids, I am going to talk about S-E-X, all right? So if you have kids, you might want to take them, check them into children's ministry, but you've been warned. <laughs> so go ahead and stand your feet, if you would, with me. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, open up in your Bible or follow along on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, let's pray. Father, give us fresh revelation today of your grace and your truth. Bring correction, bring change, as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, say amen. amen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Let's read verse 24 together 
if you would, ready, go. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And let me read verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. As you're seated, look at the person next to you and say, I'm glad that you could afford the gas to get to church today. <laughs> and then you could be, then you could be seated. If you want to know the purpose for which something was created, it's wise to consult the one who created it. When you buy a car, you get with the car an owner's manual that tells you about the car and how it works and how it's supposed to function and how it's supposed to operate for maximum efficiency. If you buy new technology, sometimes if you, if you buy toys, <laughs> they come with instructions, they come with directions, they come with an owner's manual. Most of the time, guys, we just ignore that, and then a couple hours later, we're frustrated, angry, and upset. But God is the creator. He's the one who created the universe. He's the one who created us in his image. He's the one who created our bodies. He created gender. He created marriage. He created sex. So he knows how life is meant to be lived because he's the author of life. And the Bible is the word of God. There is no other book like this book. Only this book is God-breathed, God-inspired. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is authoritative in all matters of living in our life. And when we follow its instructions, we live the best life possible. To say it a different way, when we obey the word of God, we live a blessed life. <laughs> blessed is a great word in the Bible. It means happy. It means filled with God's joy and his presence and his peace. It means prosperous. I don't know about you, but I want to live a blessed life. God's ways are always better, always, in every aspect of life. And so this is why we're in this series, because Genesis defined defines and describes for us God's purpose for critical aspects of our lives, including marriage and sex. So I'm letting you know, <laughs> I'm going to give you a whole lot here as quickly as I can. So buckle up your seatbelts. As Bishop Jakes would say, get ready, get ready, get ready. All right. So here we go. If you don't get all of it, let me know and I'll, I'll send you my notes. But we learned several important truths about marriage and, and sex from this passage. Let me give you Four foundational truths about marriage. Number one is this. Marriage is God's plan. Marriage is God's plan, so no one will ever be able to get rid of it, no matter how hard they try. Number two, marriage is between a man born a man and a woman born a woman. There are a whole lot of other relationships in our world and in our culture, but they are not and never will be marriage. There's something else. You cannot redefine God's definition of marriage. There's only one definition of marriage. Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. That word helper might sound on the surface, it might sound kind of almost demeaning. It is not at all when you, when you understand what, what the word actually means. The word helper is an indication that Adam's strength and ability to be who God called him to be, to do what God created him to do, was insufficient by himself. And so God had to create a woman to come alongside and to be a helper. It was not good that he would be alone because he couldn't fulfill God's purpose by himself. In fact, ladies especially, be reminded that Jesus called the Holy Spirit our helper. John chapter 14, aren't you thankful for the helper in your life? The Holy Spirit comes alongside us, empowers us, enables us to live victoriously for the Lord. <laughs> Sometimes we, you might think that the fourth member of the Trinity is your wife. <laughs> Number three, men and women were not only created for God, but they were created for each other with the most intimate relationship being marriage. Genesis 2.18, I will make him a helper comparable to him. Other translations say, I will make him a helper who was just right for him. Other translations say, who was suitable for him. One translation says, who was fit for him. 
who was fit for him. Adam named all the animals and saw that there was not any animal that was comparable to him, that was fit for him. And so God takes part of Adam, takes a rib and creates and fashions it into a woman who is perfectly fit in every way for Adam. Physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Reminds me of the famous line from the old movie with Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire, where he's talking to Renee Zellweger, and he says, you complete me. (laughs) Some of you guys were thinking I was going to quote the line, show me the money. (laughs) Women do. Man plus woman brings glory to God. Man plus woman is the image of God. Somebody say amen. Number four, marriage permanently joins a husband and wife together as one flesh. Jesus speaks to the permanency of marriage in Matthew chapter 19. Verse three, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he, referring to Jesus, answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, and then he quotes Genesis, made them male and female, and said, and then now Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24, and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse six, now Jesus then adds this, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. The Hebrew word for one in one flesh in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, it is the same word for one in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, when it talks about God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And marriage is not just a man, a godly marriage is not just a man and a woman, but Christ himself is the foundation. Three in one. And it is meant to be inseparable. No man should ever separate it. Just as you can't separate God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, marriage is supposed to be the same way, a one flesh relationship. That one flesh truth, that phrase, is a direct reference not only to the permanence of marriage and not only to the passion of marriage, which is intimacy in every way, including sexual intimacy, but also to the purpose of marriage itself. And so now I want to quickly give you six reasons for marriage or six purposes of marriage. I actually touched on this back in February in a message, but I'm going to give it to you again real quick. Why did God create marriage? Number one is this. God created marriage for the, for the reflection of our union with Christ. For the reflection of our union with Christ. This is actually the most important purpose of marriage, probably the least understood. and It, it, it warrants maybe a whole series on it, but let me just mention it real quick. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 31, as the scriptures say, and then now Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That's the first purpose. Number two is this. Marriage was created for the perfection of our character. For the perfection of our character. The purpose of marriage is not to make you happy. If you're getting married to get happy, guess what? You're going to be disappointed. (laughs) Happiness and joy should come from your relationship with the Lord. Now, having said that, of course you should be happy in your marriage. But that's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. It's to make you more and more like Jesus in every way. And God uses people in our lives, and he especially uses our spouse to make us more like Jesus. Because every single day, we have an opportunity to die to our own selfish desires and to love and serve somebody else, to put our spouse ahead of ourselves. Come on, husbands. That means that every now and then, (laughs) maybe every day, we ought to take out the trash. We need to help clean the house. 
We need to learn how to have deep, meaningful conversations and open up our hearts and our feelings and our emotions to our wife. Every now and then, you might even have to watch a romantic comedy. I don't know, like Jerry Maguire. Come on, somebody. Ladies, help me preach. Say amen. For the perfection of our character. Number three, marriage. God created marriage for the construction of society. If you study history, you, if you know anything about history, wherever marriages and families were strong, cultures and nations and societies were strong. Wherever marriages and families are weak, cultures and nations and societies are weak. Number four is this. It's for the protection. Marriage is for the protection of children. It is our job as parents to protect our kids. Obviously, physically, that's my little daughter, Eliana. She's three months old. Jenny and I, it's our job to protect her in every way. She can't do anything yet on her own. But it's not just physical protection, parents. It is also emotional and spiritual protection as well. Most importantly, by the way, it's spiritual protection. That's why I love Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't... What they're doing next door, that's none of my business, but in this house, we're serving God. Men, we're talking about that next next week. If you want to act like men, it is your spiritual responsibility to have spiritual authority in your household and to lead your family. Act like men. Grow up and act like men. You're getting awful quiet. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm not preaching for amens today. I don't care. You don't have to amen me the rest of the time. I'm preaching fire and truth this morning with love. You don't have to amen me. I'm not preaching for for your applause today. I'm being obedient to the Lord. Number five is this. Marriage was created for the multiplication of the human race. The multiplication of the human race, which gets us back to Genesis. God's purpose for sex is directly intertwined and connected with his purpose for marriage. So these are sub points now under number five. I told you I'm going quick. Let me give you four purposes for sex, all right? Four purposes, subpoints under number five. God's four purposes for sex. Number one is procreation. Procreation, multiplication, reproduction, and only a male and a female can do that. Genesis 1:28, be fruitful and multiply. Listen to this verse from Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. We don't hear this a lot. This is targeted specifically to husbands. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does God, and and what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. First purpose of sex is procreation. The second purpose is to glorify God. To glorify God. The Bible says that everything we do, it ought to bring glory and honor to God. And when you use your body in a way, in a marriage relationship, in a sexual way, that glorifies God. It does. Number three, the third purpose of sex is pleasure. If you don't think it is, just read the Song of Solomon. There's some metaphors in there. Wow. All right. God wants you to enjoy sex in your marriage. I know you're not going to amen me, but I know you want to. All right. God wants you to enjoy sex in your marriage. God created the male and the female bodies purposely so that they could experience pleasure during sexual intercourse. Number four is for connection. The fourth purpose of sex is for connection, which leads us to the sixth and final purpose of marriage, which is for the connection of men and women, for the connection of men and women. Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. One flesh is a reference to unity. It's a, it's a reference to intimacy, to bonding. Sex is the fullest expression of who we are as a man or a woman. It is not simply a physical act. It unites us as one flesh, not only physically, but also relationally, emotionally, and spiritually as well. An important part of any healthy marriage relationship is regular sexual intercourse. (laughs) So as your pastor, I'm giving you an assignment this week. If you're married, become one flesh, all right? Come on, guys. If I'm not helping you out here, I don't know. (laughs) 
The one flesh relationship that God created in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, is only possible between a husband and a wife in marriage. Which is why God has a very specific plan for sex. God is not against sex. He created it. It's his idea. God wants you to have a lot of sex in marriage because it glorifies him. And all the reasons I just told you, <laughs> I'm sorry, I laugh because I'm thinking about one of my cousins. I won't say who, who he is. Some of you would know him. But before one of my cousins got married, he was asked a question and he, get, he was dead serious in his answer. He was asked, how often do you think you're going to have sex when you get married? He said, hmm, maybe eight or nine times a day. <laughs> yeah, right, buddy. All right. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. We see God's plan for sex clearly in Genesis. Let me, let me state it as concisely and clearly as I possibly can, can. God's plan for sex is between a husband and a wife in marriage. Period. That's it. End of sentence. No amendments. No addendums. No exceptions. Sex is a, is a gift from God that he wants you to enjoy with your spouse only in a committed marriage relationship. If you know anything about the Lord, according to what the Bible reveals, it's who God is. If you know anything about the character of God, then you know, you know that, that everything God tells us in his word, all of his commands, do this or don't do this. Every single one of them, men and women, they come out of his heart of love for you and for me. Because God loves us, he says, do this and don't do this. He says, if you do this, if you want to bless life, then do these things, because this is how life is supposed to work. And by the way, don't do these things, because it'll mess up your life, it'll impact you, it'll affect other people negatively. Don't do those things. Listen, if my kids want to go play football on Lambert, I'm not going to say, sure, go ahead, come back in an hour. Because I know that if they go out on that busy street, sooner or later, they're going to get hurt. They might even get killed. And so because I love them, I don't care if they say, but dad, it's fun. All of our friends are doing it. I don't care. You're not doing that. I don't say that because I'm mean, because I'm trying to stamp out their fun. I say it because I want them to live and have an abundant life. Come on, somebody. I say it because I love them. And God tells us the same thing. And he tells us in every aspect of our life, including sex. Any sexual activity at any time with any person or any object other than your husband and wife is outside of God's plan. It is rebellion against God, which is sin. And the essence of sin, any kind of sin, sexual sin or any kind of sin, the essence, the core of any sin is selfishness and pride. And it's saying, God, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you or anybody else tell me. It's my life. I'm going to live it my way. By the way, that's what got Satan kicked out of heaven, is pride and rebellion. And it's also what got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, is rebellion, in Genesis 3, that they believed the lies of the enemy over the truth of God, and sin entered the world a affecting and infecting every part of God's creation. And since that time, every single human being, including you and I, we have been born into sin. And one of the primary ways that we sin and rebel against God in our lives is with our gender and sexuality. Our culture and our world believes and celebrates and promotes lies about sexuality at an exponential rate, especially, by the way, to our children. Let, let, me, let me tell you some lies. These are lies from hell about gender and sexuality. You'll, you will recognize that you've heard some of these things before. There's nothing wrong with sex between loving, consenting people. People will say that in with, with, with people, adults and children. Or they'll say something like this. I've, I've heard guys say this. I have an unusually high sex drive and I just can't be satisfied by one person. 
Here's another lie. I can't help it. I have no choice. Here's another lie. I was born this way. Here's another lie. Love is love. Every single one of those men and women, those are lies. It's deception. Just because a lie is popular does not make it the truth. Just because something wrong is popular does not make it right. Just because something evil is popular does not make it good. Truth is always true, and we build our lives on the foundation of this truth. The eternal truth of the word of God that has not and will not ever change. There is not going to be, God is not going to release Bible version 2.0. He doesn't need to. His principles are true both now and forever. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. Premarital sex is sin. It is unacceptable to God. It always has been and it always will be. Living together without getting married is sin. Always has been, always will be. Adultery, being unfaithful to your spouse in marriage is sin. Always has been, always will be. Pornography is sin. Always has been, always will be. Homosexuality is sin. Always has been, always will be. Every single one of these are sexual sin. The Bible calls them sexual immorality. And they're wrong, always have been, always will be. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6. He's, he's addressing, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the Corinthian church. All kinds of sexual sin. So he addresses it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two, and he's quoted from Genesis 2.24, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Scripture is crystal clear. It is, it is literally black and white on gender, on marriage, and on sexuality, including homosexuality. And so I, I am compelled, I, I feel compelled by the Lord to talk about homosexuality for a few minutes as your pastor. And, and I am, in doing this, let me be clear, I am not saying that homosexuality is worse than any other sexual sin, but there is more confusion, there is more deception, there is more lies in our culture and in the church today about this than any other sexual sin, so I have to address it. I, I came across a, a really helpful resource this past week. I want to uh, recommend it to you. I've been doing that the last few weeks because the, the, these topics are just so so broad and it's a it's a documentary called in his image in fact it's been out for a year I just found it found out this past week good good name by the way in his image and the the subtitle is delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality and I found it uh, very encouraging very informative very helpful and it is sound biblically and theologically listen parents if you have uh, young children or teenagers, I would really encourage you to, to watch this. It's, it's, again, it's free on YouTube. And it also, the second half of it, kind of the last part of it, has several testimonies that are amazing about how Jesus delivered people out of transgender lifestyles and homosexual lifestyles. So you can watch that if you want on your own. But every reference in the Bible to marriage and family and relationships presupposes heterosexuality. 
And there's not one single positive reference in Scripture to homosexuality. Every time, every single time, homosexuality is clearly a sin. In fact, you can put this up and, and take a picture of this if you want. These are some passages. I don't think this list is exhaustive, but these are some passages and individual verses that, that, that address homosexuality. You can, um, you can read that on your own. You can look at those on your own. The, the problem for most people is not probably not understanding what the Bible says about homosexuality, but it's accepting it. And instead of allowing the, the truth of the word of God to change us, we want to change the word of God. Men and women, by the way, that is a very, very scary thing. It is warned about in scripture. Do not add or take away from the words in this book. And this, by the way, is the same lie that the devil whispered into Eve's ear in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three, verse one. Did God really say? And it's a lie that he whispers to our culture and that he whispers, did God really say that sexual sin is wrong? Did God really say that homosexuality is wrong? Which are you gonna believe? Are you gonna believe culture or are you gonna believe the word of God? Some people want to elevate their experience above Scripture. And I, I'm telling you, and listen, I, I say this as your pastor, and I, and I say this sincerely with love, but I need, to, I need to tell you this clearly. This is a lie from the pit of hell, and this is the primary lie that is spoken, which is this when it comes to homosexuality. I was born this way. Men and women, that is a lie. That, that is not true. There is no truth in that at all. It's a lie. In fact, there's not even credible scientific evidence that supports that, number one. But more importantly, there is nowhere in the Bible that says that anybody is born homosexual. In fact, in fact, God does not and he could not and he would not create a person to, and force them to be a homosexual and then tell them that this is wrong and this is sin and this is wickedness. It is against God's nature. It is against his word. It would violate who he is. He cannot do that. He does not do that. Isaiah 29, 16, listen to this. It says, you turn things upside down. This is God speaking to us, to me, to you. You turn things upside down with your perversity. Shall the potter be considered equal with the clay? that the thing that is made would say to its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing that is formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. In other words, in order to embrace homosexuality, you must reject the truth and the authority of the Bible and say, at least in your heart, I believe that God is wrong. I believe that God made a mistake when he created me. He has no understanding. He doesn't know what he's doing. The Bible says that every single one of us, we are all born into sin. We are all sinners. We all have a sinful nature. We all have flesh. We all have an old man, which means that every single one of us, even after we come to Christ, are going to battle temptation and struggle against sin. And maybe from your very earliest childhood development memories, maybe there are certain things that you've always struggled with. I'm not saying that's not true. Maybe there's, there's always been a propensity in your life towards something that is, that is sinful. It could be lying. It could be cheating. It could be stealing. It could be anger. It could be violence. It could be greed. It could be alcoholism. It could be drug addiction. It could be pornography. Or it could be homosexuality. There's a big difference, by the way, between temptation, temptation and decision or action. And temptation itself is never a sin. The Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus himself was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, but he was without sin. So the temptation in itself, that's not the sin. What you do with the temptation determines whether it becomes sinful or not. Let me, let me say it like this. Here's one of my best friends, Mark McAvoy in the front. I love Mark. But Mark says something about my mama, disrespected my mama. 
And like LL Cool J, mama said, knock you out. I'm going to knock you out. Oh, I like it. Anyways, never mind. So if, if I'm tempted to punch Mark in the face, <laughs> in his stupid jerk face, <laughs> if, I'm tempted, if I'm tempted, that in and of itself is not sin. If I punch him, that's sin. And then it's on because he'd probably punch me back, right? Listen, listen. If, if you're married, men, if you're married, you might be tempted when you see a beautiful, attractive woman who's not your wife, you might be tempted to go sleep with her. The temptation in and of itself, that's not sinful. What you do with that can become sinful. And so if you dwell on it, you meditate on it, you think about it. Jesus says in Matthew, that's, that's lust, that you've now allowed lust to take place in your heart. Jesus says if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So lust, and then lust can turn into action. The lust and the action is the sin. So listen, if, if you, as a man, if for some whatever reasons, if for you, you look at another man and there's an attraction there, the attraction and the temptation in and of itself, that's not sinful. But what you do with it, if it becomes lust in your heart, or if you begin to act on it, that's the difference. There's, in other words, let me say it like this. There's a difference between, between same-sex attraction and actual homosexuality. We're all born sinners. We're all born sinners, which is why we all need to be born again. Jesus said in John 3, because only Jesus can save us from our sins. Only Jesus can free us from our bondage. Only Jesus can heal our brokenness. Come on. Only Jesus has the power to totally transform and change us and make us back into his image. We either believe in the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ or we don't, men and women. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And I've seen and I've experienced the goodness of God in my own life. I know what he's done in my life. I've seen the change and transformation that he's done in others. I know that he can do it. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter what path you're going down. To, going down. If you turn back to the Lord, he can change your life. He can free you from anything. He can break anything off of your life. I'm not telling you that there won't ever be a struggle. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you don't have to embrace sin in your life. Salvation is instantaneous. The moment that you say yes to Jesus, everything changes. And positionally, things change in your life. God sees you differently. I'll talk about this in a minute. But sanctification is a process. You gotta walk it out every single day. Sanctification is becoming more and more like Jesus. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter one, verse six, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit sanctifies you and purifies you and helps you become more and more like Jesus. But you gotta embrace that in your life. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, earlier in the chapter. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. By the way, let me just stop. Sometimes we read quickly through a list like that and we think, good, I'm not, I'm not any of those. You know, the, the heart is an idol factory. Most, all of us struggle with idolatry in our life. It's anything that takes the position of God in our life. <laughs> Don't be so quick to just say, that's not me. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, which are greedy people, nor drunkards, nor revilers who are abusive people, nor extortioners who are cheating people, will inherit the kingdom of God. That's all the bad news. <laughs> Here's the good news. And such were some of you. Not are, were by the way, there's people who want to try to change that Greek word. You can't change it. It's past tense. <laughs> Such were some of you. In other words, you don't do that anymore. You're not that person anymore. Because when you come into relationship with Christ, 
He changes your life. He, he restores the image of God in your life. Listen, your identity is not in your sin. It is not in your sexuality. It is in Christ and Christ alone. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new person. The old has gone, the new has come. Such were some of you, not anymore. Now you're born again. I need, I need Mark, stand up real quick. Emmanuel, you always sit in the front. You always get picked on. Emmanuel, come over here. Come over here. Mark, get behind Emmanuel on that side. Emmanuel, stand in front of me. Okay, listen. Okay, that's perfect. Listen, if your life, if God put an Instagram filter on your life, the filter would be called blood. It would be the blood of Jesus. And such were some of you. Because Mark gave his life to Jesus. This is, this is Mark right here. Emmanuel representing Jesus Christ. I'm representing God the Father. So when I look at when I look at Mark, I cannot help but look at Mark through the lens, through the filter of the blood of my son. And such were some of you, Mark McAvoy, but now you're cleansed, which means that you are completely and totally freed from all of your sin. Now you're cleansed, but you've been cleansed. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. The word sanctified means that now you are completely belong to God. Now you are holy. Now you are righteous. Now you need to walk that out in your life, and you have been justified that you are completely forgiven of all of your sin. Such were some of you, not are anymore. The blood of Jesus has done all of that, men and women, in our lives. It has freed us from the power of sin. Somebody say amen. You guys can be seated. Thanks, guys. Jesus completely and perfectly embodied. He completely and perfectly embodied grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the son of man, the son of God, God in the flesh, 100% God, 100% man. John chapter one, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I like what the message paraphrase says. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. In other words, we're looking at God. Listen, and then it says, full of grace and truth. Church, we need to be individually in our own lives. We need to be full of grace and truth. The cause church needs to be full of grace and truth. Grace, what is grace? It is God's unconditional love. It is his favor. It is his love. It is his forgiveness. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is God's unconditional love. But listen, if all you understand is grace without truth, then you're going you're gonna to live your life. You're going to tell other people, yeah, just live however you want. You know, live however. God's going to forgive you. God's going to forgive you. Paul writes in Romans, I think it's chapter 6, he says, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? He says, absolutely not. How has he who died to sin live in sin any longer? So if it's just grace, and there's some, there's some Christians, there's some churches, all they preach is grace, and so yeah, just live however you want to live. Doesn't matter what God's word says. That leads to licentiousness, which is a license to sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace. Men and women, you're on thin ice if, you're, if you believe that, embrace that in your life. If it's only grace without truth. But listen, we need truth in our life too. And truth is always undergirded. It is founded in love. It is founded in love. But if you just separate truth from grace, truth from love, then guess what? You're going to become a judgmental, critical, condemning, legalistic Christian. And when people come to you, you might tell them the truth, but you don't speak it in love. That doesn't draw them to Christ. It is, not, it is not grace or truth. It is grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And to me, the story that illustrates this better than anything in all the Bible is John chapter 8, the woman who is caught in adultery. In fact, let me, I'm going to read it real quick. John chapter 8, verse 3. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him 
to Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. By the way, this is very obviously a trap that these guys set for, they didn't give a rip about this woman. They were using her. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing them, that they might have something of which to accuse them. But Jesus, I love this, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. Listen to this. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then listen to verse 12. And then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Do you see the truth and grace in that statement? Listen, neither do I condemn you. That's called grace. Aren't you thankful for God's grace in your own life? Neither do I condemn you. The only, the only one who had a right to throw a stone at this woman, the only sinless one was Jesus himself. And he said, I don't condemn you. But then what did he tell her? He said, now go and leave your life of sin. That's what some translations say. Go now and leave your life of sin. He told her grace and then he told her truth. When we respond to God's grace and truth in our lives, we find real and true freedom. John chapter eight, later in the chapter, verse 31, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I wanna, I wanna close by just giving you these thoughts real quick, but if you know someone, if you know someone who is struggling, maybe caught in sexual sin, maybe they're living together, maybe they're having an affair, maybe it's homosexuality, then I'd encourage you to do these things. Number one, pray for them relentlessly. Don't ever stop praying. Number two is direct them to Jesus, because only he can change them. Maybe at some point, if they're willing to hear, you tell them, hey, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is the sin and brokenness that he pulled me out of. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. Number three is speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Love confronts. Love says, this is wrong. Love says, go and leave your life of sin. Number four is love them unconditionally. Love them unconditionally. Listen, unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval. Unconditional love is not unconditional acceptance. I unconditionally love my kids, but if my son Cohen pops off to his mom, I do not unconditionally approve of that. Hello? You know what, what I'm talking about, parents. God loves you and I unconditionally, but he does not unconditionally approve of all of our knucklehead choices and behavior and our sin. That's what sent Jesus to the cross. If you yourself are struggling with sexual sin, Jesus can forgive you and set you free. And here's four thoughts for you. Here's four steps you can take, how to be set free. Number one is repent of your sin. Re repent means to change your mind, to change your direction, to turn away from your sin. Repentance is saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Forgive me, cleanse me, help me to change. That's repentance. You don't rationalize your sin, you don't excuse it. And listen, men and women, repent now. Go now and leave your life of sin. If you're currently in the middle of an affair with somebody, break it off today. Don't ever go back. Number two is receive God's forgiveness. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Number three is renew your commitment to Christ. 
meaning that you make a renewed commitment from this day forward by the grace of God with his help to live sexually pure, to live morally pure, to, to walk with the Lord in freedom and in victory. God is not concerned about your perfection. Jesus was the only one who's ever been perfect. He's not concerned about your perfection, but he is very concerned about your direction. And Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And your cross looks different than my cross. Your struggle looks different than my struggle, but that's what we're called to do, is head in the direction following Jesus. Number four is this, request help daily from God and other people. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help give you victory to overcome sin and, and confess. I think, listen, especially in issues like this, it is, it is very helpful and biblical to confess your sin to somebody else, to bring it out of darkness and into the light. Because once you do that, it begins to lose its power to be honest with somebody that you trust that can help you. Confess your sin. Talk to a pastor. Meet with one of our staff members. Go to Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights get and, and get help. Join one of the the, the step studies to overcome sexual addiction. Get involved in marriage mentoring if you're having problems, made, made some decisions. Let us pair you up with a couple who's gonna walk a journey with you. If you need Christian counseling, we'll recommend counseling. Do what you need to do, men and women. Ask other people to help you. You weren't made to walk it alone. I, I wanna let you know today that no matter where you're at, even if you're watching online, what you're dealing with, this house, this house, the Cause Church, this is a safe place. This house, this is a spiritual hospital where the hurting and the lost and the confused and the broken and the deceived, maybe been hurt by other churches before. Listen, this is a house of healing. This is a house of hope. We're gonna help you. If, you, if you're willing to walk towards Jesus, we're right there with you. We'll walk alongside you. We just happen to know the great physician. His name is Jesus. He's real good at fixing people. Always has been, always will be. It's his business. He's so kind. Would you stand to your feet with me for a moment? I just, we're gonna sing a song. I just want to say one last time. It maybe, maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online and, and you're, you're in the midst of sexual sin, single or married, and, and the Lord spoke to you, I'm sure, brought conviction in your heart. God loves you. His grace will overwhelm you if, if you'll confess your sins and turn from them and repent. But go and leave your life of sin, men and women, today. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.